to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, my name is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Today we're going to be looking at prolactinomas, which are tumours of the pituitary gland. We will look into the etiology, clinical features, how it's diagnosed and the treatment options available. We will also talk about the effect they have on pregnant women and how it may change the pregnancy experience compared to those who don't have prolactinomas. We'll start by discussing what exactly a prolactinoma is. It's a benign tumour, specifically an adenoma of the pituitary gland in the brain, which expresses and secretes an excessive amount of the hormone prolactin. Prolactinomas make up around 40% of all pituitary adenomas. Prolactin is normally secreted by the anterior pituitary, under the control of the hypothalamus. Prolactin secretion is slightly different compared to other hormones secreted by the anterior pituitary, whereby its secretion is mainly controlled by an inhibitory signal from the hypothalamus in the form of dopamine. Secretion of the hormone is regulated by short-loop feedback, in which prolactin itself acts in the brain to stimulate dopamine production and therefore inhibits its own secretion. The cause of this condition is idiopathic, but what we do know is that it's the commonest hormone-producing pituitary tumour. They're slow-growing, the majority occur sporadically, and they predominantly affect premenopausal females aged 20 to 50. A minority of patients with the condition may have a genetic syndrome like multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. Patients with a prolactinoma have persistently raised blood levels of prolactin. Due to such high levels, it can disrupt the reproductive system by causing secondary hypogonadism via its inhibitory effects on gonadotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus and the pituitary gonadotrophs, FSH and LH. It also disrupts dopamine secretion from the hypothalamus, therefore enhancing the hyperprolactinemia. Prolactinomas can be classed into microadenomas, which are less than 10 mm in diameter, or macroadenomas, which are greater than 10 mm in diameter. Microadenomas rarely grow in size and are the most common type found in females, whereas macroadenomas are usually locally invasive and sometimes need aggressive treatment. Males and postmenopausal females are associated more with large invasive macroadenomas. Aside from prolactinomas causing a raised prolactin level, there are also physiological and pharmacological causes. Physiological causes include pregnancy and breastfeeding, as well as stress. Prolactin levels are highest during pregnancy and in lactating women. During pregnancy, prolactin levels rise and reach a peak level immediately before delivery. Following delivery, the level of prolactin decreases to a low pre-pregnancy level. However, it peaks again during breastfeeding when there is a stimulation and suckling of the nipples. Pharmacological causes include dopamine antagonists, dopamine depleting agents and estrogens. features vary between females and males. Females may present with amenorrhea or oligomenorrhea, galactorrhea, acne and hirsutism. Males may present with erectile dysfunction, decreased body and facial hair and uncommonly gynecomastia. Common presenting features between both sexes may include infertility due to impaired ovulation in females and a potentially low sperm count in males, produced libido, Visual field abnormalities, usually temporal hemianopias if the tumour is large enough to compress the optic chiasm, and osteoporosis. 
Patients may also present asymptomatically with an incidental finding of raised prolactin. The diagnosis involves during a serum prolactin to confirm it's elevated. Testing for other hormones produced by the pituitary may also be carried out to see if they are within the correct range. If initially presenting to the GP, they may then refer you to an endocrine specialist for further tests such as a pituitary MRI. This may be enhanced with gadolinium contrast to better visualize any small microadenomas or extension of invasive macroadenomas. All patients with macroprolactinomas undergo computerized visual field testing to reveal any unilateral or bitemporal hemianopias. Treatment options include observation and monitoring for those who are asymptomatic, have a normal menstrual cycle and don't desire pregnancy. For premenopausal women who are symptomatic with either a micro or macro prolactinoma, the first line of treatment is a dopamine agonist such as carbagolin and bromocryptine. These inhibit further prolactin secretion, thereby allowing prolactin levels to normalize and the tumor to shrink. Further options down the line include transphenoidal surgery or cellar radiotherapy. For postmenopausal women with a microadenoma, the first line treatment is simply observation. These patients don't usually require any treatment and any galactoria usually improves when estrogen levels gradually decrease postmenopause. However, postmenopausal women with macroadenomas do require treatment and follow the same treatment outlined for symptomatic premenopausal women. Males also follow this as well. Pregnancy in women with macroprolactinomas have been linked to an increased risk of growth of the tumour. During pregnancy, the pituitary gland grows in size due to increase in serum oestrogen levels, which creates the risk of increasing the size of any existing pituitary tumour. Tumour cells in prolactinomas express oestrogen receptors and therefore get excessively stimulated in pregnancy, leading to an increase in size of the prolactinoma alongside an increase in prolactin. The key concern around prolactinomas in pregnancy is the growth of the tumour and the risk of growth has been found to depend on a pre-existing size before pregnancy. Data has shown that the risk of tumour growth for microprolactinomas is 3%, but for macroprolactinomas it's 32%. It is recommended that women who plan to conceive undergo an MRI to document baseline measurements for comparison with measurements during pregnancy. As prolactin levels increase in pregnancy as mentioned before, it doesn't reliably represent tumour growth and therefore is not useful for clinical assessment. The management of microprolactinomas during pregnancy includes counselling on the very low risk of tumour enlargement, stopping dopamine agonist therapy once pregnancy is confirmed and seeing a doctor urgently if symptoms such as severe headache or visual disturbance occurs. It is more likely that dopamine agonist therapy will need to be restarted if these symptoms occur. The management of macroprolactinomas during pregnancy is slightly more complex. The risk of significant tumour growth has been reported to fall from less than 30% to over 5% if the patient has been treated with radiation to surgery prior to conception. The patient should be cancelled on a higher risk of tumour growth compared to microprolactinomas, the need for normalisation of prolactin levels, the importance of treatment before conceiving, the need for routine visual field testing every trimester, and to see a doctor urgently if unusual symptoms occur. For small or intracellular macroprolactinomas, dopamine agonists should be stopped once pregnancy is confirmed. Those pregnant with large tumours or with extracellular extension are strongly advised to receive definitive treatment before trying for pregnancy. 
Bromocryptine is a drug of choice for pregnant women, but cabergoline may be considered if there is no response to bromocryptine. If the enlarged tumour still doesn't respond to cabergoline, then alternate options are transphenoidal surgery in the second trimester, or early delivery of the pregnancy if it's far along enough. The safety record of bromocryptine and cabergoline are equal, however cabergoline has increased efficacy and fewer side effects. Bromocryptine is usually the first drug of choice due to limited safety data for the use of cabergoline. The most important thing for women with prolactinomas who plan to conceive is to discuss with their doctor so as to obtain as much information as possible about the safety of a pregnancy. We've now looked at prolactinomas in a lot of detail. If this is the first time you've heard about it, then I hope you've learned a thing or two. If you've already heard about it in the past, then I hope this podcast has been good revision of your existing knowledge. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode and thank you for listening in. Keep a lookout for next week's episode and another interesting topic. Please do follow us on our Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society Facebook, Twitter and Instagram pages. Please like and share this podcast with all your friends and colleagues and of course I always welcome any feedback. If you have any requests for future podcasts, then absolutely let us know. As always, we're very grateful for the support we're receiving. Before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Human Ho, one of our revision workshop facilitators who was involved in the making of this episode. Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier, signing off. Disclaimer. Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace advice of a doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third and fourth year of their medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. For references, please see the episode description. Thank you.